What's up, you guys, and welcome back to another episode of the 90s Called Podcast. I'm your host, Jess. Thanks for joining me today. Today, our episode is going to be brought to you by Capri Sun, specifically Capri Sun Strawberry Kiwi, which is actually my favorite flavor. And it's going to be brought to that by today because it's one of the quintessential 90s snacks or 90s drinks that we had. Does anybody else besides me remember the commercials where it made it seem like you would turn into the Silver Surfer just by drinking the Capri Sun? Otherwise, it was a staple in all of our lunchboxes and our snack times, so you can't have a 90s podcast without Capri Sun. Thank you for everybody who has joined me from previous episodes. Thank you to everybody who has followed and liked and shared, as well as followed my Instagram and has shared with their friends. I do now have a Facebook page, just for everybody who is wondering. It is also the 90s called. And thank you to everybody who has interacted with any of my posts on all of that. I am very grateful for it, very thankful. Specifically, I do want to shout out my friend Brittany's husband, Ryan, Ryan Pulse. He has been a really big supporter of me. He's been very good at answering questions, commenting on things, uh, supporting me. So I want to give him a shout out. And of course, to my very close friends and family as well. It is now October, so we're going to be starting off our podcast with some episodes about things that have creeped us out, scared us, terrified us, maybe psychologically damaged us throughout the 90s. Of course, there's a lot of things that we can go through. I am going to be talking about maybe touching on some things that you would have liked to hear a long episode for. We can push it off for next Halloween, or it might end up being that I do more episodes this month simply because it is Halloween month, or as everybody call it, tends to call it, spooky season. Everybody knows that this is pretty much one of the best times of the year. It's not too hot, not too cold. We all get really excited about all the holidays coming up. Then we have all the decorations, the candy, the scary stories, things like that. It's it's one of the best times of the year. I'm not someone who is the person where by August I'm sending memes around saying it's almost time for October. I do have two friends who I love to death that do that. They make fun of me for being the one where I'm like, it's August. Stop doing that. But, you know, it's it's a fun time of year, so we are going to be making sure that all these episodes I'm going to be doing for this month is catered toward this season. So I hope you guys are as excited as I am. Also, I did want to briefly mention that my podcast is now available on multiple platforms for Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio. I am working on getting one for Apple Podcasts. I do have an iPad, so that is probably what my Apple ID is, and I just need to get back into that so I can make it put on Apple Podcasts, so that way all of you guys have multiple opportunities to listen to this. I am also thinking of turning this into a YouTube channel, where I just take the audio from this and put it there. There is going to be some video as time goes on. I am trying to figure out things through that, so there's going to be multiple ways for you to listen to this podcast and get back into all things 90s. So, let's get into it. I put up a post on Facebook and Instagram saying, because it is Halloween season, that there's going to be multiple episodes of scary things that we're going to be talking about. But what really, really got me into wanting to do this episode was one of my favorite book series and TV series as a kid. I had I actually did a toss-up between this one and another TV show from the 90s that scared the absolute crud out of me as a kid. But because we did have a lot more things to go over with books and TV, considering it was from the same thing. This is an adaptation. I decided to start out with this one. And my responses on Instagram of having asked about this has brought a lot of attention, a lot more uh, excitement to me and to people who are waiting for this. So let's start out with... Goosebumps. We're going to start with Goosebumps. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to say is that theme song did not need to be as good as it was. And we're going to talk about the TV show more specifically later in the episode because I'm going to start with the books. But that theme song, I don't know what it is, but something about that masked man who I'm pretty sure actually was R.L. Stein. I could be wrong. It could have been a body double. But was R.L. Stein walking up the hill with that briefcase falling open? Something about that was just so inherently creepy. And it set the tone for that entire show. Especially when it got to the point where it transitioned the G that went over the billboard and the woman turned from a smiling face to like a sour and sullen one. 
the dog's eyes turning creepy the yellow, though on rewatch or on YouTube. That's not great CGI, but hey, it was the 90s. You did what you could do. Special effects were what they were. And we just ate it up because we loved that show. This show, okay. I will say it was a couple of episodes from this show and watching Child's Play a little bit too young. When I was a little bit too young, 100% is what made me get scared to death of my animals and toys and things coming alive to potentially murder me later in the night. Like, Goosebumps, looking at it now, watching the show now, it's a classic. The acting does leave a little to be desired, but as a kid, that freaking scared me. And it is because... It just seemed like it was something that was kind of possible, and that's what we really have to put a lot of props to R.L. Star, the author, into, because he wrote such compelling books that really, in a way, made it seem like it was something that could potentially happen. There could have been a dummy that would come to life and try to kill you. There could have been what essentially was 90s Nickelodeon Gak that turned into a sentient being that tried to eat everything and everybody in its sight. There could have been a little sponge-looking creature underneath your sink that ended up feeding off of the horrors and misfortune and bad luck that it caused upon your family. There could have been an amusement park that was run by strange creatures that were trying to kill you. It made our imaginations run wild. And quite frankly, I think that's what the appeal of it was, is that it appealed to our imaginations and it made it run wild a little further than a kid's imagination probably could. So it equally made things really cool but also very scary at the same time. And R.L. Stein just has a really good way of basically doing what Stephen King could do for children. Not many people could do that. There were other book series that tried, but Goosebumps is one of the ones that really stood the test of time. So as I mentioned, R.L. Stein is the author of the Goosebumps books. And like I even said, he has been referred to as the Stephen King of children's literature. And it's not just because of the Goosebumps books. He's written a lot of horror fiction novels, including the Fear Street books, which is actually some of my favorite book series as well. It was aimed more for teens. This is going to be another uh, episode in its entirety because I know that a lot of people know what Fear Street is now because of the Netflix special or Netflix series, of which I have my own opinions on, and I will do an entire episode around that. But he did Fear Street, Goosebumps, Rotten School, Mostly Ghostly, which I vaguely remember. I don't think I read very much of those. And then the Nightmare Room series. I didn't read any of the Nightmare Room series books, but I did watch the show. So I've had a lot of influences from R.O. Stein in my childhood. R.O. Stein wrote dozens of humor books for kids, first under the name of Jovial Bob Stein, and created the humor magazine Bananas. And Bananas was written for teenagers. It was published by Scholastic Press for 72 issues between 1975 and 1984. Yes, it is the same Scholastic that ended up doing the Scholastic Book Fair, which is also a huge staple of the 90s and is also going to be an episode in and of itself. So, in 1986, Stein wrote his first horror novel called Blind Date, which was then followed up with The Babysitter, Beach House, Hit and Run, and The Girlfriend. And for those that don't know, those are actually books for the Fear Street series that I mentioned before, which were essentially the similar idea of Goosebumps, where it took stories of, like, murderers, ghosts, the occult, supernatural things, and put that in a world for teenagers rather than for young kids. So if you've never read a Fear Street book, I absolutely do recommend it. He, I mean, you could tell that they were written in the 80s and 90s, and some of the way that the stories come together is a little contrived. However, if you enjoyed Goosebumps, you'll probably enjoy the Fear Street books as well. Uh, throughout his time as being a writer, R.O. Stein was also the co-creator and the head writer for the Nickelodeon kids show Eureka's Castle. I vaguely remember that show. Like, I remember the name, and if you show me a picture, I remember the picture. I don't think I watched it. I could have, and I just don't remember, because the show did run from 89 to 95, and I was born in 92, so I don't have very much memory of it. But that is something that he was working on at the same time that he did start doing the Goosebumps series. And of course, as we mentioned, especially because I did throw in the theme song of Noelle, Goosebumps did eventually get adapted to a TV show. That ran from 1995 to 1998. R.L. Stein has also written a 
novels that were specifically for adults, one called Superstitious that was first released in 1995, and then there were three other ones called The Sitter, Eye Candy, and Red Rain. In the first decade of the 21st century, Stein worked on installments of five different book series for Mostly Ghostly, Rotten School, Fear Street, The Nightmare Room, Goosebumps Horrorland, and the standalone novels Dangerous Girls and The Taste of Night. He also directed, or not directed, he also had the direct-to-DVD movie The Haunting Hour, Volume 1, Don't Think About It, which starred Emily Osment and was successful enough to make the show R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour, both of which I did watch because I did enjoy almost everything that R.L. Stein did. And when I heard that there was more R.L. Stein slash Goosebumps slash Fear Street horror kind of things coming out, I did have to go and watch it. Haunting Hour is more of a mid to late 2000s thing, so if I do talk about it, it might just be an episode where I do that by itself and kind of make it a shorter one, because I am trying to focus more on the 90s, but The Haunting Hour is actually a pretty good show. It's very similar to Goosebumps, but it's more for, like, tweens and young teens, where the Fear Street books were for, like, mid-teens to older teens. So like I mentioned, R.O. Stein's Goosebumps books were a major staple in the 90s, to the point that I could probably say it was one of the best-selling children's book series of the 90s. Because when I think of 90s and 90s books, my first one is probably going to be Goosebumps. My second one would probably be Animorphs, though I feel like I'm one of the few people that actually remember that book series and I just got back into it because I was thinking about Goosebumps and that was another scholastic book and that's a whole other thing. But it'd be Goosebumps, Animorphs, I remember the Boxcar Children, I remember the Bailey School Kids, A to Z Mysteries, and that's about it. I If you showed me some other books from the 90s, I probably would remember it, but those are the ones that stick out in my mind the most. And especially because, like I said, most of the books that we read were from Scholastic. You went to the Scholastic Book Fair, there were probably hundreds of Goosebumps books there. In your library, there were hundreds of Goosebumps books. Go to the bookstore, for us it was Borders, hundreds of Goosebumps books. If I went to the kids' section, there was Goosebumps book displays everywhere. And the first thing I wanted to do was find the new one and reread the old ones. When I was in after-school care, we read Goosebumps books. We traded it with each other in classrooms. We told each other what was the best ones. I had so many siblings that we each could check out a Goosebumps book in the library. We could just give it to each other and keep reading. So I didn't have to wait until my next time I went to the library to check out another one. I'm pretty sure some of my book reports were even on Goosebumps books. And the thing that really stood out to me for the books were... Let's start with this. Uh, the cover art. All of the covers of Goosebumps books were very, very eye-catching. Like, if you pull up Google right now and you just Google image... Goosebumps book cover. All of the covers that come up are very neon and vibrant, which is very 90s. Um, it's got interesting cover images that go along with the title of the book. Like, for example, the first one that came up for me was The Beast from the East, which actually is my... Is that my favorite one? No, that's my sister's favorite Goosebumps book. I'll, I'll get to that later. But it's The Beast from the East, where it's a picture of a beast that you've never seen before, never seen any kind of creature like it in a background in a world that you've never seen before, which is very much what the book is about. And it, it just catches your eye because it makes you want to know what it is that the book is going to be talking about. So for the next one, Welcome to Dead House, picture on the front is a very decryptic, run-down, abandoned house. And you're like, okay, what's that have to do with anything? Like, what's that about? Say cheese and die. The uh, Polaroid picture on the cover, where it's got the skeletons on the pictures, talks exactly about essentially what the book you think is going to be about, and it's the perfect cover for it. And then you have the headless ghost, a ghost walking down the stairs with its head in his hands. Like these were the best covers we had for them because you essentially got an idea of what the book was about when you would look at the cover, but then it made you want to see even more of what it was going to be when you read it. So. 100% congrats to whoever did, I should look that up, whoever did the cover art design for the Goosebumps books because they were as enthralling and creepy as a kid's horror fiction book could be. So 100%, like that always caught my attention. I was really excited to see what the cover would look like. It could spend a lot of time just staring at the cover when I wasn't reading the book. So, Goosebumps is a series of horror novels written by R.O. Stein, as we pointed out, 
The protagonists in these stories are tweens or young teens and find themselves in circumstances that involve the supernatural, the paranormal, or the occult. The series was originally published in English by Scholastic Press in the U.S. and Scholastic Hippo in the U.K. It has a lot of different genres including horror, comedy, fantasy, adventure, supernatural fiction, thriller, and mystery. And the world of Goosebumps um, explores a lot of themes. The first novel was Welcome to Dead House that was released in July 1992. And since then, they have sold over 400 million copies globally in 35 different languages as of October 2022. Goosebumps does fall under a lot of different genres, but it's primarily horror and thriller books. Uh, Stein characterizes the series as scary books that are also funny, which is true. There are a lot of different books that I found to be more humorous than scary. Um, and of course, it also has its humorous moments. A lot of times, there's going to be a character that's more of the sarcastic and witty kind of character, or the skeptic. I'll say is more of the skeptic character, which of course is going to be a lot of things that kids fall into. Because with all the ghost stories and urban legends we heard as kids in the 90s, there would be some who instantly loved the idea of it and fell for it and were kind of scared of it. Those who were kind of in the middle of saying, I don't think so, but maybe. And then those who were skeptics. And of course, the skeptics in the books were ultimately proven wrong with what was going on. Except for parents, because parents tended to not be the... Okay. Parents tended to be the trope. If you ever look at the website TV tropes, adults are useless because... The kids would go to the adults and tell them, hey, this is going on, and the adults generally would not believe it. But at the same time, who can blame them? If your kid ran up to you and said, there's an evil sponge under the sink that is making it that bad things are happening, it's feeding off of it, chances are you probably wouldn't believe it. However, us millennials now, we probably would be more like, uh, deal with it first, ask questions later. At this point, if you told me that there were vampires that were running around that had bad under your breath. I, I don't know. I didn't read Vampire Breath. That's one of the few ones I did it. But whichever one that one's about, it's talking about vampires. If you told me that you had proof that someone was an actual vampire, I would believe you first and then try to be proven wrong later. I I believe in a lot of different things. I believe that there are some creatures and things out there that you can't quite explain. I would much rather go ahead with that belief rather than being an out-and-out -out skeptic. Um, there, were, there have been plenty of books where the adults were able to witness and see things at the same time as the kids, so they weren't as skeptical. So that may, I think those are some of my more favorite books. Uh, so typically it flip-flop back and forth as to who were the skeptics and who were the ones that fully believed it. But primarily, the protagonists were kids, and it had them stuck in the scary situations, and you would try to figure out how it was going to be, they were going to get out of that scary situation. Sometimes they had twist endings, sometimes they didn't, sometimes it was very straightforward. It really depended on the book that you were reading and the story that was told. Some of the books I thought were not as fun as others, uh, and some of them I thought were a little too over the top to where I was like, that could have been written a little bit better. But all in all, I enjoyed the Goosebumps books. I absolutely go back and reread my favorite ones all the time, and I can't say much for a lot of books from my childhood in that same vein that I could read it with as much fervor if I was going to read it now. Uh, so Starry did also mention that he does not have any deaths in his stories. The children in the novels are never put into situations that be considered too serious. And he thinks the success of the books is their absence of drugs, depravity, and violence. However, I do have to question his statement of there's no violence is probably changing to me. There's more, not as much gratuitous violence because there's a good amount of violence in these books. I remember specifically for Say Cheese and Die, there's a point where a kid gets a nail through his foot. And I'm like, if you don't think that's violent, then for, especially for kids to read who may or may not have broken bones by that point, I don't quite know what violent is to you. Of course, we're not saying that they're going around and saying how, uh, Kid who's a ghost was murdered by a psychopath who stabbed him 38 times. Like, it's not going into that part of violence, which I'm sure is what he's talking about. Say, it's not like Saw for kids, but there, there's a pretty good amount of violence in some of these books, even though it's more like a kiddish and a toned-down violence. Arnold Stein does note that some of his inspirations does come from the Tales of the Crypt comic book series, he does also get inspiration from other books and films, such as Slappy the Dummy being inspired by the adventures of Pinocchio, 
and some of his other ideas for books came from real life. He got the idea for the haunted mask after his son, Matt, had a Halloween mask he had trouble getting off. Stein also uses his childhood fears to help him write books, where he says, Luckily, he has a great memory. As I write a story, I can remember what it feels like to be afraid and panicky. And Stein says he often thinks of a title to a novel first and lets the story title lead him to the story. Stein also states that two common themes in the series are children triumphing over email. Email. Yeah, children email in the 90s. We had email. It was so scary. Anyway. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's just so... Oh, man, I cracked myself up. Okay, so the two common themes in the series are children triumphing over evil, evil and children facing horrid or frightening situations and using their own wit and imagination to escape from them. Stein does not attempt to incorporate moral lessons to his novels and says his books are strictly reading motivation. Which is great, because in the 90s, and even now, I'm a reader. I love reading books. I give every book a chance if I find the back blurb interesting. And by the way, they need to start putting blurbs back on the back of books. I don't need to see quotes from other people who I've never heard of saying the book is good. That literally does not tell me anything. Tell me what happens in the freaking book. That's all I'm asking you. Anywho, <laughs> uh, so I'm a reader. I love reading. I could read pretty much any book that you would put in front of me. Some of them I love, some of them I like, some of them I hate, but I'll try reading it. Primarily, I didn't like reading very much. If it was a book that was assigned to me for school, some of them weren't my favorites, and I immediately got one in my head that I absolutely could not stand reading. There was even a, ooh, there was even, a, I probably shouldn't say this now, but it's so past middle school, it doesn't even matter. There was a book that we had to read over the summer for middle school, I think going into eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade. We had to read the book, do a paper on it when we got back. I literally only read the first sentence of that book, closed it, wrote a paper, and got an A, because I freaking hated that book. <laughs> oh my god, I don't even know how I did, but hey, it worked. Oh, that was, I laughed so hard when I found out that I got an A on that paper. Because I really just pulled it out of my butt, saying, the first sentence of this book sucked, and this is why I don't like the book, and this is why the book sucks. And that ended up working out. It literally could have been that it was, he, my teacher knew I didn't read it, but I was just so compelling and, what's what we're looking for? Argumentative for my case in my paper is what got me the A, because let's be honest here. Half the time that you do papers in school, it's not entirely being graded on what you're arguing. It's also how well you write. And I've always been a good writer, so I think that helped as well. I went off on a tangent on that. I'm sorry. We'll go back to Goosebumps. So Goosebumps had, in its total, 62, 62 novels in its original series. Total, it has 240 if we're including different omnibuses and rewrites and co not combination books. I don't remember what they're called. It's like an omnibus, but not. Like, when you have all of those all together, it adds up to being 240 books. But in terms of Goosebumps in general, there are 62 of them. They were written from 1992 to 1997. The first one was Welcome to Dead House, which I didn't read that one first, but I do remember that one very well. And then the last one was Monster Blood 4, of which I don't think they needed to make four Monster Bloods. I thought the first two were really good, and then I thought the rest of them were kind of eh. But, you know, that's what happens. Uh, you're not going to have a hit for every single one, but the thing is, is that it's going to be a hit with someone, so there's that. Uh, oh, that's to say, reprints. Some of the books were reprinted in 2003 to 2004 with slightly different covers, and there were also some that were reprinted. I might be thinking of Fear Street. There were some that were reprinted to put in a little bit of modern stuff into it. I remember when I first read a Fear Street book that I read when I was a teen, later in my 20s, late 20s, mid to late 20s, where as soon as they mentioned the word Skype, I burst out laughing. So I was like, I remember this being a book set in the 1980s, and that was the exact same story, but it's got Skype and cell phones. So now you have to deal with how are you to tell this same story with the absence of a cell phone? Which, honestly, at the same time, I think is really interesting to see how people do that for horror movies and scary movies and thrillers and psychological thrillers now. Because 
everybody knows your cell phone is going to get you out of whatever issue you're having pretty quickly. So watching to see how creatively they deal with getting rid of cell phones when it's not just the, oh, there's no service or, oh, I smashed my phone is actually very interesting to me. So of the 62 Goosebumps books, starting with Welcome to Dead House and ending with Monster Blood 4, there were other classics like Stay Out of the Basement, Say Cheese and Die, Let's Get Invisible, Night of the Living Dummy, The Ghost Next Door, The Haunted Mask, Be Careful What You Wish For, The Werewolf of Fever Swamp, or Fever Swamp. So I don't, I, ooh, I remember somewhere in the third, fourth grade, there was a massive argument through a bunch of our classmates arguing over whether or not it was called the Werewolf of Fever Swamp or the Werewolf of Fever Fever Swamp. Which, of course, makes no sense. You can see it as fever. But it was a really, really big argument that we had to the point that I would die on the hill that it's fever swamp. I don't know how you can say it as anything else. Whatever. Uh, there was also the books One Day at Horrorland, The Scarecrow Walks at Midnight, Phantom of the Auditorium, A Night in Terror Tower, The Cuckoo Clock of Doom, It Came From Beneath the Sink, Night of the Living W2, The Barking Ghost, Horror of Camp Jelly Jam. And quite frankly, the only reason I remember the horror at Camp Jelly Jam is because of the really, really creepy way the dude was smiling on the cover. In general, I did not get scared from that book. The cover scared me, or at least disturbed me more than anything else. Then you had the things like The Haunted Mask 2, Headless Ghost, How I Got My Shrunken Head. I remember How I Got My Shrunken Head. That was a good one. I really did like that one. Uh, Beach from the East, Say Cheese and Die Again. Vampire Breath, which again, I did not watch, or watch, I don't know why I said watch. I did not read that one, and I don't quite remember it, but I remember the book cover. And then there's other ones that, like The Blob That Ate Everyone, which I actually thought was Monster Blood. So I might be mixing those two up in my mind when I think about it. Yeah, My Best Friend is Invisible, and then Monster Blood 4. There's a bunch of them that I don't remember reading, like The Haunted School. Werewolf Skin, I Live in Your Basement, Don't Go to Sleep, I think. Yeah, I don't remember Don't Go to Sleep. I don't remember Chicken Chicken. I don't remember How I Learned to Fly, Beware the Snowman, or Calling All Creeps. Like, there's a bunch in here that I don't remember. So I think I just read the classic ones over and over and over again, and then ended up watching the TV show. So, I'm probably going to have a show counter on this freaking podcast. I guess that's my quote-unquote word or catchphrase because that's literally just my transition word for a lot of things especially when i'm trying to link two thoughts together i'm probably gonna do a counter for that or else maybe if i end up getting like a wikipedia page for this podcast it's gonna be like notable quotes so exclamation point or so dot 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 i apologize it's it's probably gonna happen a lot now that i'm paying attention to it (laughs) we (laughs) i was about to say so again okay you get it so Goosebumps was then turned into the TV show, which was an anthology horror series. It was based on the books. uh, Pretty much the episodes were the same story-wise as the books, same titles. And there were some that weren't turned into an episode. There were 74... 74. Episodes. 72? Episodes altogether spanning over four seasons. First season had 19 episodes, second had 25, third had 22, and the fourth had 8. And it aired from 1995 to 1998. And it originally aired on the Fox Kids Network, where I specifically remember that, because I I even remember the logo that was in the corner of the screen for it. Not to mention, spent a lot of time watching Fox Kids because of Digimon as well. Probably also Lucha Lucha, even though I did not watch that show very often. I don't think Pokemon was on Fox Kids. I think Power Rangers was on Fox Kids. I believe there was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show on Fox Kids. I need to do. I just do Fox Kids as its own episode because there's a lot that went into that and how it turned eventually to like Fox Family and ABC Family and Freeform and things like that. So I think I'll just make that its own episode. But yes, it aired on Fox Kids. Forty-three of the sixty-two books were adapted into episodes of the show, along with nine books from the Tales to Give You Goosebumps series and two books from Goosebumps series two thousand. 
I didn't really watch those, watch, read those. I don't remember the Tales to Give You Goosebumps series, and I definitely did not read Goosebumps 2000. Like I said, chances are I pretty much rewatched, rewatched. I don't know why I keep saying that because I'm looking at the TV page. That's why I reread the original books more than anything else. And then when I found the ones I really liked, those are the ones that I just kept reading over and over and over again. To the point that if I go to a used bookstore now and I find it, I'm going to buy it and read it again because I absolutely loved it. Um, and then the Chilling Dream three-parter was a completely original story, while the episode More Monster Blood was an original story based on the existing characters. Of the Goosebumps episodes, I think the one that is remembered the most would be also the one that actually is probably a staple of the 90s because I remember having the VHS of this one. I remember watching it every Halloween. It probably was a staple because it was an episode specifically for Halloween that it probably aired on Fox Family the most, if I had to guess. I could probably look up scheduling and programming for Goosebumps during that time frame. But this episode, if you mention the Goosebumps TV show, this is going to be the one that is mentioned and probably reminisced and highly sought after the most. So this is the one that I'm going to be talking about the most for this episode, is The Haunted Mask. So The Haunted Mask was the books that, the books, the book that I remember the most. I remember it specifically because of the cover. And the cover to The Haunted Mask is the girl holding the green mask in front of her face, where it literally looks like it's a horror version of, like, Jim Carrey's The Mask. That's, it's just, it's very eye-catching. You can't look away from it. It's creepy, and it pretty much tells you exactly what you need to know about the book. But that's the first thing I think of if you mention Goosebumps. I remember the, the image of the book comes straight to my head. The TV show comes to my head. And the story, I remember the story specifically. So Wikipedia states that that episode was actually the first two episodes of the entire show. It was directed by Timothy Bond, written by Jose Rivera, was the adaptation of Haunted Mass book, Goosebumps number 11. The original air date was October 27th, 1995, and it had 14.1 million viewers. So the point of that book was Carly Beth steals a Halloween mask from a new store and gets the storekeeper's warnings. However, the mask begins to change her personality and meld with her body when she wears it. Upon realizing this, Carly Beth tracks down the mask store salesman for a way to break the spell and remove the haunted mask. So specifically, I remember... The ending of this episode. I remember how she had her... What's the word I'm looking for? She had her... The bust of her, her head. Okay. Her... I'll, I'll skip back and just pretty much give the basis of the entire story. There is no spoilers to this. This book series is 20 years old. If you don't know what happens in this episode or in this book, that's on you. Uh, you can't get past it. If you're gonna talk, if you're gonna type this up on Reddit, it's gonna be spoiled for you. There's no such thing as spoilers if it's 20 years old. So I'm just gonna go over it. So Carly Beth is repeatedly scared by her two classmates, Chuck Green and Steve Boswell. On Halloween, they fool her into eating a sandwich that contains a worm. In anger, she runs home and rips the duck costume that her mom made for her because it's a very kiddish costume, but because she's more of a person who's scared on Halloween all the time, it kind of makes sense that that's the costume that she would be given, so something that wouldn't scare her, but then she's like, she's stuck in that age of being a teen where it's like, she's scared of things, but doesn't want to admit it, and then she has people who torment her, and then she doesn't want to be treated like a child. So, she decides to go to a mask shop, hoping to find something that would scare Chuck and Steve to get them to leave her alone. In the store, she finds a back room filled with hideous masks, and the store's owner refuses to tell, sell her any of the masks because he warns her it's not the kind of mask you want to have. Like, it's the general creepy store owner not really telling you exactly why you shouldn't do it. And then it makes it so intriguing that the kid wants it anyway. You know, to push the story along. And Carly Beth steals it and tosses money at him before leaving the store. So she uses the mask to scare her brother Noah, but has trouble taking the mask off. And when it finally does come off, they're scared and unnerved about how she unintentionally changed her voice while wearing the mask. Because it turned from her kind of light, kind of monotone kind of voice into a really scary and... Scaly is a weird way to phrase it, but it does seem kind of scaly to me. Especially if you see the mask in the episode is kind of like 
a lizard-like alien kind of mask, so Scaly really works. So after putting the mask on again, Carly Beth takes the mold of her head that her mom made for her and leaves the house to meet her friend Sabrina. I am actually very confused as to why her mom decided to make a bust slash a mold of her daughter's head. That always confused me, and I never really understood why anyone would do that, because in general, it's kind of vain, but also very, very creepy. And I guess maybe it's just that. It's not really creepy in itself. So there's that. Uh, so Carly Beth starts to act differently. She scares other kids, throws candy to the ground, destroys Halloween costumes, scares Chuck and Steve, like, all of that. And then she ends up pretty much acting completely different because, you know, haunted mask means that she's turning into a different person. But she literally turns into a different person. Whoever is the... I don't know if it's still her or if it's a body double, but whoever the body double or the voiceover is for her, and I bet she just did the voiceover for herself, they did a really good job of it being visually that she was a different person. Like, you could literally see... That she was scaring other people. It was unnerving. It unnerved herself. It scared herself. It was they did a really good job for that episode. So uh she takes the mold of her head that her mom made and then buries it in the ground while underneath basically the personification of the mask. And when she goes back to her friend Sabrina's house after Sabrina is unnerved enough to beg her to go home, Carly Beth realizes that she can't take the mask off her head and it's become a part of her skin. She goes back to the mask shop to find the owner, and the owner tells Carly Beth that the mask is a real face, and the only way to remove it is with a symbol of love. Carly Beth begins to cry in horror. She scares the other... She scares. She wakes the other masks that start to chase her. She runs to the cemetery, digs up the mold her mother gave her, and then uses the mold to scare the other masks away. That's what I meant to say. Scares the other masks away, and she's able to take the mask off of her head. And then she eventually throws the mask away, and then the episode ends where... It's a two-part episode, so the episode, whatever, ends with her brother breath her brother Noah wearing the mask, which then goes into later the Heart of the Mask 2, which I don't quite remember, and I don't think I read. But if from what I do somewhat remember of that is if there was... The Haunted Mask 2, I think that one went into her, one of her bullies getting the Haunted Mask. Actually, let me look it up real quick. Okay, I remember it now. I did read that one. So, The Haunted Mask 2, the cover of that one is a boy walking up the stairs with, like, a rotten green mask that's, like, an old grandpa mask. I do remember that from the cover. And I was right. It is that it was about the bully Steve who ends up getting the mask that time. So because he didn't forget Carly, ba Carly Best Halloween mask, he wanted to have the scariest costume. So he gets the same gets a mask for the same place Carly Beth got hers. It looks like an old man face with white stringy hair, spiders falling out of his ears. And he then has to deal with trying to get the mask off later. Okay, I do remember reading that one. I don't remember the episode of it, but I do remember reading that one. Uh, so Haunted Mask had themes of peer taunting and family frustrations. The desire to fit in and peer pressure caused Carly Beth to behave in a disturbing manner because she does not appreciate her positive qualities. Uh, Carly Beth does have to learn to love and accept herself as she is to find happiness. So that's pretty much what the point of the symbol of love was for the, the mold or the bust that her mom made her. I still find that kind of weird and creepy. Don't really understand why that was a thing. But, you know, it it's it yeah. It was it was in the story. It made the story work. Looking at it as an adult, I don't think it did. Because I'm just really questioning it. But it worked. Uh other episodes that were pretty memorable memorable, jeez. Were pretty memorable weren't just because of the stories that they were being told and how well it was done, but because of the actors and actresses that were in it. So, a lot of people don't know that a good amount of actors and actresses got their start or were a part of Goosebumps. So, what other people don't really know either is that Goosebumps was actually filmed in Canada and primarily had Canadian actors in it. 
it was filled in Canada because Canada had different houses and historic properties in Toronto, Markham, and other areas that served as the sets for each episode rather than having to make artificial sets for houses and buildings. So that also provided more affordable filming locations and an aesthetic that could double as an American aesthetic while maintaining ambiguity in terms of location and setting. So because of that, we had, there were a lot of Canadian actors and actresses that ended up in the Goosebumps episodes. And some of the people who acted in Goosebumps are actually big names today. So AJ Cook was in an episode of Goosebumps. She is now known primarily as J.J. Jarrell on Criminal Minds. She was in an episode. Hayden Christensen, as we all know, who was in Star Wars, he was in an episode. Laura Vandervoot. Uh, if you watch Smallville or Sue Thomas FBI, It's a Star, or Supergirl, she was in an episode. Kevin Zegers, who was known for Airbud, was in an episode. And, of course, the most well-known actor who came from... I want to say came from Goosebumps. It's not like Goosebumps is the biggest name on his list of movies and TV shows. But the biggest name to come from Goosebumps, as most people do sometimes know, but tends to get overshadowed, actually is Ryan Gosling. He was the main character in the episode Say Cheese and Die, which is actually also one of my favorite books as well. Other than The Haunted Mask and Say Cheese and Die, the most notorious books from the Goosebumps series is probably going to be Night of the Living Dummy. And it's not just because of the books, but because of his main character of Slappy. Slappy being a materialist dummy, who essentially is a murderous dummy, who is trying to cause a lot of issues for the kids who ever get given Slappy or find Slappy. And the thing is, is that Slappy is probably the closest you would get to what a Chucky would be for kids. And I think that's why he had the most staying power. Also, because Slappy is horrifying. Okay, first of all, I don't like Ventriloquist dummies. I find them very creepy, very scary. The fact that even if it was, if, even watching it back now, you can see how kind of bad visual-wise it was for Slappy. Slappy was still very creepy when he turned up in the live-action TV series. The funny thing is, though, is that Slappy slash uh, Not a Living Dummy, it didn't get all four books as episodes. It only got uh, Not a Living Dummy 2 and Not a Living Dummy 4, I think 2, 3, and 4, as episodes. It never had the first one. And if you don't believe me, you can look up... Uh, you can look it up on Wikipedia. It only has Night of the W2 and Night of the W3. Uh, yeah, they even got to Night of the W4. This, I kind of thought I remember. I remember reading all four of them, but they only ever did episodes of two and three. They, I think it was more like they combined in what happened in books one and two into that episode, and then books three and four to the other one, but it doesn't make sense to have Night of the W2 and three if they never had one and four as episodes, so, you know, that's kind of creepy, but Slappy, you can't forget him, like, even when they made the movies, Slappy was one of the main characters of it, because everybody remembers Slappy the dummy, and when it comes to, well, like I said, with having Slappy, I could be wrong, especially the time uh, Child's Play came out, because I think Child's Play came out in 92, Child's Play? Oh, it came out in 1988. Okay, so, quite frankly, he could have gotten the idea of Slappy off of Chucky. I mean, quite frankly, I watched Child's Play when I was way too young to watch it. Scared me half to death. Slappy the dummy didn't help me either. But it probably is also what made me eventually end up loving the Child's Play movies is because I saw Slappy and how scary and unnerving that could be. Keep in mind, I did also watch Toy Story as a kid. I love Toy Story. I like the idea that my toys could come alive after I left the room. But then when it turned into Goosebumps and Child's Play, it turned into that, hey, that can be a creepy thing, you know, kind of side-eye, that kind of thing. But yeah, that's uh, one of the more popular parts of Goosebumps is The Haunted Mask and Night of the Living Dummy. There are plenty of other favorites as well. I did ask on Instagram, what were your favorite Goosebumps books and what was your favorite Goosebumps episode? Primarily, the response I got for the Goosebumps episode was The Haunted Mask. 
And again, that's a very Halloween one. It's a classic. That's the one that came up the most. For my friend Ryan, he says it was the Haunted Mask episode. My friend Mike said it was the Haunted Mask episode. And my sisters and my brothers, I definitely remember the Haunted Mask episode. If I had to choose my favorite episode, though, it probably would have been Let's Get Invisible or Say Cheese and Die. But I did really enjoy the Haunted Mask book, though I watched the episode more often because I had the VHS of it. We had the VHS, I think, of the Terror Tower one as well. I vaguely remember that. But they were asking about for books, it was... Actually, I don't think Ryan answered that. But anyway, it's probably a hard to ask. And then Mike's was Werewolf of Fever Swamp. My sister Mare's was Barking Ghost or See Chase and Die. My sister Steph's was Beast from the East. And mine was Horrorland, actually. So the Goosebumps book, One Day in Horrorland, is the one where the family goes to the amusement park with their family friend Clay or something. And it's the amusement park where it's the horrors are the ones who are like running the rides and the attractions and stuff and are trying to kill the family in the story while the family tries to get away. I don't know what it was about that one, but it was just a very, very entertaining book for me, especially because I'm thinking, well, we have Halloween type events at amusement parks. How do we know that that's not possible? Which goes back to my thought that I think the Goosebumps books were so good because as kids, you would think, Okay, but that's a possibility. This could be a real thing. Like, that could actually happen. This kid that I know who lives next door, he could be a ghost for all I know. Because how many kids do you remember from your childhood that when you bring it up to your parents, they don't remember who you're talking about and it may as well be a ghost? Like, that could be inspiration for that. That what makes your imagination run wild. Like, your kid imagination and the way you perceive things as kids goes greatly into those books. And it goes into those stories. And... I think that's what made it resonate so much with so many people. And I think that's what makes it be something that is still continued to resonate well today. I don't know if kids do still read Goosebumps books. I went to the Goosebumps subreddit and the Animorphs subreddit and like just looking at a bunch of subreddits for 90s nostalgia and stuff in general. And millennials are now having their kids read those books. I still see them when I go to the libraries and stuff. But, you know, I never knew if it still had as big of an impact because... Streaming services, iPads, Netflix, being able to get everything you want on a tablet compared to a book is like it just makes me wonder if they still have the sort of experiences we did when we were reading those kinds of books when we were kids. So if they're still reading it, kudos for them. Try not to scare them too much. Don't be surprised if they're sleeping in your bed. I'm sorry, those books were scary. So that goes into how I would do Goosebumps today if I were to make another series of Goosebumps. Technically, I don't even have to actually answer that question because Goosebumps is going to have its own TV show again. It's going to be releasing in 2023. Actually, I think it releases this month. Yeah, it releases on Friday the 13th. Perfect time for it to be released. So on Disney+, Plus, Goosebumps, the 2023 TV show, is going to be released. It's going to be on Disney+, Plus and Hulu. And it was first announced to be developed in 2020. Sorry, in 2020. I was skeptical when I first heard about it, for a couple of reasons. The first one being that I get skeptical of anything that's rebooted or revamped or remastered because, and you could probably just say, I'm a nostalgia person. I am. But it's also because I'm very possessive and protective over things I had when I was a kid. And seeing how it gets remade and modernized, more often than not, it's not great. So when they made the Goosebumps TV, uh, movies, Back in 2015 and 2018, I watched part of the first one and didn't finish it. Because I was like, well, this isn't Goosebumps. This is just taking what was the world of Goosebumps and making it another world rather than making an actual Goosebumps movie. I think Jack Black did great in it for what I watched. But it wasn't the kind of movie that I wanted to see for Goosebumps. And then when I heard that they made a second one, I was like, well, it must have done something right if it made a second one. Because... You know, if it's not a cash grab, the kids liked it. I know a good amount of kids did actually like the Goosebumps movie. I didn't, and that's okay. So I just thought, you know, it's it's just another thing. It's a cash grab. They're going to try to make it interesting, whatever. So then I heard that they were going to make a TV show. And from the synopsis, I am skeptical of it because it says 
After accidentally releasing supernatural forces, five teenagers must find a way to work together and recapture them while discovering their parents' secrets from their teenage years. From what I can understand from the synopsis, it's pretty much like what the first movie was, and I didn't like that idea for the movie. So it would be like how they have the scary stories to tell in the dark movie. I thought that they would have been like an anthology movie where they did movie adaptations of all the stories in that book. This is going to be an episode, by the way. I love that book series. And they didn't do that, and I watched the movie, and I was disappointed because it was just a teen movie where these things came to life, and they thought it was a story, and it just came to haunt them. And I, I didn't like it. I, if they did, if they did Harold as its own movie, I would have loved that. That would have been a good scary story to tell in the dark movie because that would have had it where they took something from it and made it its own thing, not deciding, oh, it came out of like a book. And it came into our world, and now we have to stop it. And then I also don't like the fact that it is teenagers who are the main protagonists, because I feel like it's going to turn things to be kind of melodramatic and dark compared to kids dealing with things. Now, that's not to say that the Goosebumps TV shows was like Emmy Award winning. It might have been. I don't know for sure. It might have won an Emmy. Don't quote me on that. Don't come for me. But... It it didn't have the best acting. Watching it now, you can see that child actors, they're not always amazing. You can only do with what you got written for you. But as a kid, we ate it up. I thought it was good. It's a classic upon rewatch. But it was about kids, and it made it seem like you were there with them because you're watching it as a kid. I don't feel that teenagers would have the same feeling to it. I don't know for sure. But here's the thing. I'm going to give it a try, especially because... Justin Wrong is supposed to be in it. And I'm a big fan of Justin Wrong. I've seen previews for the show. It looks interesting. It looks good. I'm going to pass my judgment on it completely until I watch it. So, if it comes out Friday the 13th, next episode should be out around then. I If it's not in the next episode, the episode after that is where I'll give my uh, full ideas and feelings on how I feel the Goosebumps TV show went. I'm going into it with an open mind because of Justin Long. I like a lot of things that Justin Long has done, especially Jeepers Creepers, so I'm going to give it a chance. I think you guys should give it a chance, too, and then, you know, write in, give me your ideas of how you felt about it. But if I were to do a Goosebumps show now, I would do it in a similar vein that the way Goosebumps was done in the 90s. I would have mostly kid actors, probably some that you don't really know of already, which, quite frankly, I think the social media didn't really help that because now anybody who's got a million followers just because they look nice can end up being in a TV show and have the worst acting I've ever seen in my entire life. Not going to throw anyone out there, but I do have some people in mind for that. Like, get some unknown kids into it. Get um, adults who get adults who worked on Goosebumps. Like, get Ryan Gosling to be a dad in a Goosebumps episode. Do another Say She's a Die and make him the dad and make the kid the one who's... His kid is the one who's figuring out everything. Have Carly Beth come back as the mom and have another kid be Carly Beth. Like, if they did something like that and had the same kind of 90s hokiness to it and play it straight, not have any modern touches to it, I think it could work well. I think it could be something that you don't have to potentially roll your eyes at. Because, again, I'm in my 30s. If I watch a kid's show now... I tend to roll my eyes at a lot of things, just like I'm sure a lot of parents roll their eyes at things that we watched when we were kids. But I think if they played the 90s aspect of it completely straight, it would work well. But you would also need to have the archetypes of kids be very similar to the way they was in the 90s. Because in the 90s, you had, you know, the kind of nerdy loser kids. You had some of the more popular ones. You had the jocks. Obviously, you don't want to go so far into the 90s where you had the homophobic or misogynistic feels and things. Because if you look at a bunch of books in today's lens, you probably could attribute a lot of things to it for hot-button social issues now that I don't wouldn't quite want to throw. Actually, if they made a Goosebumps book that was an allegory for LGBT or trans, and I'm sure there are, and I just didn't catch it when I was a kid, and you specifically directly talked about that in somewhat of a timeless 90s lens in a Goosebumps episode now, I think that would be great. It, actually, yeah, they should probably do that. I think that would be great. I think if they redid Goosebumps 
it had it where it was kind of 90s-esque, but still had some modern ties to it and made the episodes timeless, then I think that would be a very good Goosebumps show. It'd be one I would watch. It would be one that I would even love to write. Maybe even R.O. Stein would do another Goosebumps show off of that. I don't know what hand he has in the Goosebumps show that's coming up now. I do know that is, you know, based off of his thing, he gave his blessing for it. Because, you know, you wouldn't give your blessing if you didn't think it would be done well. But I think that it could work out pretty well if R.O. Stein were to do another Goosebumps series, essentially based off the 91s, that's much like the 90s. Uh, but if you are going to be checking out Goosebumps when it comes out on October 13th, the first five episodes are going to be coming out the 13th. This is going to be coming out the 20th, the 27th, November 3rd, 10th, and 17th. And the episodes that the episode titles and inspirations that they're doing are going to be Say Cheese and Die, The Haunted Mask, Cuckoo Clock of Doom, Go Eat Worms, Reader Beware, which it wasn't actually an episode, episode or a book, but it's the tagline basically of the entire series. So for the Goosebumps books, it was Reader Beware, You're In For a Scare. Where for the TV show was viewers beware you're in for a scare, and it was very creepy in the tone of voice that they had that from the TV show. It set the tone. It was really good. Uh, so then you also had Night of the Living Dummy, Give Yourself Goosebumps, You Can't Scare Me, Night of the Living Dummy Two, and Welcome to Horrorland. So because it's going to be touching on a bunch of the ones that I actually didn't really like for the books and the '90s show, I am going to give the show a chance. Uh, going in, fingers crossed, that it's going to work out well. Especially, like I said, fan of Justin Long. Hope to God that it's going to work out well for him. I think I think he wouldn't have taken the project if it wasn't something that he would like to do. So, we'll see how that ends up working out. But, yeah, Goosebumps is a worldwide phenomenon. If it wasn't, then they wouldn't still be doing movies and TV shows of it. That's how much staying power and the mainstay that it had. But in the 90s, it was absolutely everywhere and experiencing that for the first time was some of the best times that I had it probably is what got me into the horror thriller genres that I absolutely love in terms of my entertainment and things now to the point that if you ask me what's my favorite genre of movie or tv show chances are it would fall underneath the umbrella of thriller and goosebumps is one of the things that got me there and again it's one of the things that made me absolutely terrified of Vincent and Chris Dummies Watching Chucky did not help either, where that was maybe afraid of, it hasn't made me afraid of dolls, but it makes me side-eye any, like, Chucky dolls or anything. Just, like, I side-eye Ouija boards, even though I have never played one and will never play one because of that. Just like Jumanji. I, I watch Jumanji all the time. I love that movie. I had never played that board game. I know nothing's gonna happen, but I'm not touching it, because you don't, you don't know, and I'm not taking that chance. That's what Goosebumps did for me. I'm not taking chances on some certain things. I'm sure a lot of you can commiserate with that. Goosebumps is timeless. It's timely. If you can modernize it in a way that it doesn't make me roll my eyes, then you've done a good job with it. And I'm sure R.O. Stein will give you his accolades and high regards for it as well. So, again, give the Goosebumps TV show a chance. Let's talk about it. Send me an email. Give me your thoughts. I absolutely will respond to it, and I would love to talk to you about it. Thank you again to everybody who joined me for the 90s Call podcast today. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and follow. I did say in the last episode I was not going to do that, but hey, now that more people are doing it, I may as well mention it. I'm not going to tell you to do it every single episode because, again, that is annoying. You can do what you want. I don't really care. This is a fun project for me. I'm, if you want to support me, that's awesome. If you don't, that's awesome too. Live your life. Have fun. That's all I ever want out of, from you guys. That's all I want out of my life. I do have an Instagram where the 90s called pod. 90s called pod. Can't believe I forgot that. That's because I say it every single time and I look at it every day. That's a rough, real good going there, Jess. So I have an Instagram called the 90s called pod. I have Gmail of the 90s called pod at gmail.com. If you want to give me some feedback, tell me about some of your favorite 90s memories. If you want to talk to me about some goosebumps memories and books and theories, go ahead and email me there. I do have more episodes for scary and Halloween-type things coming up soon. I do have one where we talk about Halloween in general. I am going to talk about Curse Cowardly Dog. I am also going to be talking about Are You Afraid of the Dark? So please share your guys' memories from those things. Like, what your favorite episodes were? What scared you half to death? What did you like about it? I love talking about these things with you guys, and it makes me feel like we have a bunch of people who 
want to live the childhoods as well and just want to have a good time. So for today, the 90s called and I want my goosebumps back. Thanks guys. Have a good day.